Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope that this message will both teach and encourage you. Here's today's message. The door flopped open. We had it ready to go. So, now can you hear me? (laughs) Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Pastor Cindy, for leading us in prayer. Thank you for a wonderful word about communion, Pastor Steve. I love it how they bring a fresh word. That's a challenge. We we participate in communion every time we come together on Sunday. And it's a challenge to say, what what is a way that we can come at this that's not liturgical, dead, dry, dull, and boring, but is so full of life and fitting for what we're going to do? And I just want to commend our staff for always seeking the Lord and coming with a fresh word. Why don't you give let them know you appreciate them. Amen. More than anything, that we are in the presence of the Lord and we are gathered together in this place. How many of you came expecting? Yeah. Well, we get that expectation and receptivity level up high. Uh, I believe something's going to cut loose in our lives and it's going to affect our life together as Vision Church. How many are ready for that? Amen? We're ready for that. I want to preach today a message. We're continuing on in the book of Acts. We're tagging on to something we've been building towards, but today's message is entitled, One Day at Three (laughs) O'Clock. How many of you have started great stories with those words? One day at three o'clock. How many of you know that a great story can start? We've heard them start with, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. But how about a story in your life starting with one day at 3 o'clock? And then we begin to fill that in. That sounds like just something in the middle of a hot Texas afternoon at which we're simply waiting for the day to come to an end if we're a day worker and it it ends at 5. And we're just going to milk that last two hours and hope that we can make it to then into the air-conditioned comfort of our car, to the air-conditioned comfort of our home, and uh, get away from this place maybe. Out of the mundane and dull, dry, drab, and boring. But I want to talk to you today about one day at 3 o'clock. One day at 3 o'clock. I want us to tag into something we've already established as a foundation here. Because there's something in the background of our mind. I'd like for it to be in the background of our mind. Not simply passing away and lost. But to review this idea of consecration, devotion, and addiction. This idea of consecration. In the words of Joshua to the people of Israel in Joshua chapter 3 verse 5, in the events of Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, what do we see? We see them consecrate themselves, and what happens? Something powerful. Consecration or devotion, synonym, or another devotion, addiction, typically a negative one. But you know how many know we can baptize that term addiction? We can, we can baptize that term because it's a good thing to be addicted to the presence of the Lord. To seek to repeat entering into his presence and into his courts with praise and experiencing his manifest presence, the significance of his glory and who he is, and then to see and experience that breaking forth of his glory into our everyday life and reflecting His glory to us, through us, and to other people. Amen? How many of you are ready for that? Give the Lord a hand clap. 
Now that, the four features of that best addiction is described for us in there in verse 42 through 47. And I suspect that's not going to pass out of our consciousness as a congregation. And we're going to work as a staff and I'm going to work as a pastor to make sure that there are opportunities to do each one of these for every member of the congregation. It's going to become part of the way of our life. I figure it's a good pattern. If it was a part of their everyday life and led to the breaking forth of God's glory, how many of you think that there's a pattern in there to maybe look for and to follow? And it's basically this. They persisted in the doctrine and the teaching of the apostles. Now, immediate when you hear doctrine, some of us hear doctor, and we kind of get afraid. Others hear doctrine, and we hear teaching, and we get bored. But I'm here to tell you, this is the revelation of God's intention and his will for humanity. And he decided to reveal it in his son, share it with Galilean fishermen, tax collectors, and everyday people, empower them by his impeccable Holy Spirit, and then release them in an anointing to speak and to teach and to exemplify what Jesus was really talking about and actually live it 24-7 to the glory of God. The doctrine of the, the, the disciples, the apostles, fellowship, the fellowship. Guess what we get to do this morning? We get to come together in fellowship. We get to sit in a room with other people who are convinced that Jesus is the only answer for the world today, and we get to sit with people who may not be quite sure yet, but they're willing to have an open mind and an open heart and see whether these things be so. And in that kind of environment, how many of you know something great can happen? This is where God is welcome because we come together in this divine conspiracy of fellowship and something powerful happens just being in his presence and being with others in fellowship and that is encouragement strengthens our heart and we're, we're encouraged as we heard a prophetic word that was coming forth this morning as Tasha was connecting with something that the Holy Spirit was doing. We need to connect to that and say one more day. One, I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to tie a knot in the end of the rope. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to persist. I'm going to keep believing even though it seems that there is no reasonable reason to believe because there is a God in heaven who knows my name, knows my plight, knows my circumstance and situation, who loves me truly, madly, and deeply, and has an answer for every predicament that I'm in. Would you give the Lord a thanksgiving praise? That we come together and breaking bread together, opening our mouths and opening our hearts and opening our ears and sharing not only a meal, but sharing the substance of our lives and building bridges of significant relationship. We're going to persist after that. We're going to go after that because if we'll consecrate ourselves and devote ourselves to that, it will set us up for something awesome. Amen. And then prayer. And there's all kinds of prayers, and we're going to get into that as well. That's our review. That's something we want to connect to that bedrock principles and that kind of uh, example. These scriptures have been given to us as an example, right? These were written down so that we might learn, we might know, we might be instructed, and that we might walk in the way of the Lord. And so we see this example in the very first church as it came together and developed and grew that they were addicted to that. 
I would, I would like to, if I could, go back and revise this a little bit. Amazing things happen as a result of prayer. And that's true, isn't it? Amazing things happen when people pray. Revivals break out in entire islands because people pray. Communities are challenged and changed because churches pray. Families are shaped into a new destiny because someone in the family won't give up, but they go consistently with intercession before the God of heaven, and they're believing for something better, something greater, something more enduring, something from the heavenly realm, something from eternity, something to deal with salvation and rescue and deliverance, and they simply persist in intercessory prayer, and they stand in the gap between the living and the dead. They stand calling upon the sure mercies of God and his loving kindnesses, and as a result, breakthrough comes because of prayer. But it's not just because of prayer. We could revise this in the light of what we've been looking at. Amazing things happen as a result of devotion. As a result of consecration. As a result of taking seriously what God has delivered. And connecting to it with every intention in every way. Allowing it to penetrate and permeate our life. Allowing it to determine our destiny. Allowing it to determine our schedule. Allowing it to determine our priorities. And becoming fanatics. (laughs) How many of you like that? Fanatics. Some of us aren't quite sure about that. But when you go to a sporting event, you'll find the fanatics. In Cleveland, they bark like dogs. In Austin, they paint themselves orange. And have white letters. T, E, X, A, and S. And they stand side by side, hopefully in the right order. They flash hand signs. They pay money for jerseys. And they're saying, not only am I here to watch the game, but I'm invested. I'm devoted. I sing the songs. I hold the special hand signals that signify hook'em horns or, or the horned frogs or whatever the favorite team might be. They know the song. They know the chant. They know the fight song. They're invested. They're involved. They fly the banner from their antenna on their car. They hang it in their yard. Even when their team goes 3-13, and 13, they just don't give up. Why? Because they're devoted. And so when we become devoted, amazing things happen as a result of complete devotion. Amen? And what we're going to do at Vision Church is we are going to go along a journey where we're going to very specifically explore what that devotion looks like and commit ourselves on every level. And you know what we're looking for? We're looking for amazing things to break out. We're looking for amazing things to happen. I appreciate Pastor Cindy kind of doing a plug, maybe unbeknownst, is what we've been doing in devotions. We've been talking about let your light so shine before men so that they might see your good works. God wants people to see stuff. And he wants to ha- them to see something as a result of what his people are doing so that they can see and then it's up to them. Don't you love it? We can be sold out fanatics and see amazing things and then it's up to other people what they do with it. The results are up to him, and it's up to them. I don't know about you. I just want to be in the middle of some amazing things. And so to build our faith and to connect with what was happening as a direct result of people who listened to Jesus and devoted themselves to these four things, we now see some of the amazing things. Everybody say amazing things. 
But the title of the message is One Day at 3 O'Clock. One Day at 3 O'Clock. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a little bit of background here. The Jewish people went to prayer three times a day in the morning at sunrise. We're talking corporate prayer. They started their day together in prayer. Now, it was much easier when you had a small village and a synagogue, and everybody got up in the morning, went to the synagogue, and began their day in corporate prayer. Could you imagine what would happen in our lives just just thinking about that. Some of you are saying, wait a minute, Pastor, are you suggesting? No, relax. Some of you are getting edgy. Wow, Pastor's going to spring a three times a day prayer meeting on us. No, no. But let's let's look at the principle here. This is what they would do. They would get together in corporate prayer in the morning, at three in the afternoon, and in the evening. Three times a day. Why? Because they had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they had three times a day, three different forms and kinds of prayer, some of them similar, some of them very different. And it was at the time of prayer that happened when? At three in the afternoon. Now, this kind of prayer had been going on at the temple, not for days, not for weeks, but for centuries. Actually, for several centuries into more than a millennia of time. They had very specific prayers that they lifted up at the temple in the morning, in the afternoon, at the time of the evening sacrifice at 3 p.m., and then at night. So here's a question for you. What's significant about this time of prayer? Well, I'm glad you asked that. What was going on at this time of prayer? Do you know that we know what their prayer guide was? We know what kinds of prayers they prayed at 3 o'clock. Now, I'm not going to go down into the nitty-gritty and great details on that, but I thought this was interesting. They had a time of thanksgiving and praise, declaring the greatness of God first. And then you know what they did? They moved into six specific requests. And the eighth prayer they prayed in the 3 o'clock prayer meeting every day was this was a prayer for healing it was a prayer for healing now before we get into that what's happened before what happened just a few weeks before a month and a half before one day one thursday at three o'clock jesus cried out from the cross i into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up the spirit and he died. Jesus had died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He died at the moment when prayer in the temple was supposed to begin. And I want here to tell you that there were people who went to the temple to pray and in their prayer meeting did not realize that the answer to all of their hopes and prayers the answer to all their thanksgiving and all their supplications, everything that they had prayed for hundreds of years was being met outside the town walls 
on a cross, and when he gave up his spirit, he said, it is all paid in full. It's all answered. It's all provided for. Would you put your hands together and thank the Lord? So what can happen at 3 o'clock? Jesus is doing something. Isn't it interesting that at all times, of any time on the clock, that the date and the time would coincide with Passover and the time would coincide with the giving of the evening sacrifice and would also coincide with prayer in the temple, that they would pray through a very specific liturgical prayer and little did they know that their answer had just been sounded outside of the walls. The answer had come. So what's significant about this time of prayer? If we're not careful, we overlook it. Three o'clock one Thursday afternoon, Jesus gave up his spirit and paid everything in full. And some month and a half or so later, they are now going to the time of three o'clock prayer. And don't you know these people go to pray with a different sense than anybody else? They're joining the rest of their Jewish brothers and sisters. They're going to the same temple they've always gone to and went to with Jesus. But something has changed and something is different. They are consecrated. They are devoted. They are connected. They are believers. They are born again. And they are filled with the Spirit. And they are going to a 3 o'clock prayer saying, this doesn't have to be dull, dry, and boring. This doesn't have to be mundane because the one who died upon that cross for our sins was raised three days later and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession, and we have His glory and His grace in us and upon us. We are filled with His Spirit. We are anointed. We are consecrated, set apart, and devoted. We are fanatical. We are serious about Jesus, and we're not talking about an old liturgy of thousands or a thousand plus years, but we're talking about a new day, a new dawning, a new three o'clock, and a new powerful prayer. Would you put your hands together and thank the Lord? So what's significant? Their eighth prayer was a prayer of healing. In fact, I have right here, I was looking for it under my Bible, but it's right here. And I wanted to just pull out, this was, they actually prayed 18 benedictions. They prayed 18 areas of of prayer. And prayer number eight for healing sounded like this. I'm not going to chant it in Hebrew. Why? Because I, number one, don't know how to chant. Number two, I don't know any of the Hebrew of this prayer. Good explanation. Is it okay if I tell you the prayer in English? How about Texan English? Somebody say, even better, right? Okay, heal us, O Lord, and we shall be healed. Save us, and we shall be saved. Imagine this prayer echoing after the hour of 3 o'clock one afternoon, just like it's been done week after week and day after day, century after century. For you are our praise. Grant Listen to this, a perfect healing to all our wounds for you, almighty king, are a faithful and merciful physician. Blessed art thou, O Lord, 
who heals the sick of your people, Israel. Isn't that a powerful prayer? Even in the Jewish prayer book, there's a parenthesis in the middle of this prayer. And it says this, this instruction. You may add a prayer for the sick here. What does that mean? As you were praying that prayer in the temple, you would insert the name of somebody you know that needed a physical answer of prayer. You would begin to intercede and pray as you prayed up that prayer, as you lifted it up, hear us, O Lord, and, and heal us, and we shall be healed. Save us, we shall be saved, for you are our praise. Grant a perfect healing to all our wounds. And then you would put right there, and Lord, you know my cousin. You know about my uncle that has leprosy. Lord, you know, and you would fill in the name of the blank, and you would begin to Take that time. Everybody gathered in the temple courts would be lifting up the names of people that needed healing. Doesn't that sound like music to your ears? It certainly is a music to God's ear. They're about to do that. They're going to do it like they've done it, like clockwork. Everybody has it memorized. They know when to stand, when to sit, how to stand, how to chant it. They know how to respond to the responsive prayers. They've been trained. They've been taught. Jesus knows these prayers. Jesus has prayed these prayers. Jesus and the disciples have stood in the temple courts on the time of prayer, and they have prayed these prayers. The disciples have done it all their lives. They know it forward and backwards. And how many of you know that, uh uh-oh, the risk is... Here's another dull, drab, repeated prayer. There's no power in this, but something's different. Jesus has died upon the cross. He has been raised to life by God. He has been ascended into heaven. His anointing and power is now upon these people, and they're going up to the temple for the time of prayer with a different bounce in their step, with a different expectation in their spirit, with a whole different experience with God, and they are fanatics, and they are excited about Jesus. Wow. Can you feel it? They come at 3 in the afternoon. Now let's move on. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Now, how many of you ever have friends come and visit you from out of town? And some of them might even say, I've never been to Fort Worth before. Where do you take them and how do you show them around town? Oh, let's take us, we're going to take you to the most crime-ridden areas of Fort Worth. We're going to take you to the most desperate, impoverished areas of of our town because we want you to see that. That's not what we do. We go and pick the certain restaurants and the certain locations and we go to the prized jewels of our town and we say, man, you have not eaten till you've eaten here. And I'm not going to name that place because some of you get mad at me because you have a different opinion than I do. There's going to be a certain building you want to show them. Maybe they're an architectural enthusiast. Maybe they like art museums. Maybe they like science museums. Whatever it is and you think you need to see the best that Fort Worth has to offer. And I'm here to tell you we have a lot of best. Amen? Yeah. Surely more than Dallas. You had... You just had to. If this was your first visit to Jerusalem, you had to go to the beautiful gate. This was the gate at one time 
led to the approach from Solomon's glorious palace across a bridge and into Solomon's special entrance into the temple. It was the king's entrance to the temple. It had a beautiful gate. It was awe-inspiring what had been put into that gate and what to bring your friend across that Tyrolean Valley and, and walk across that expanse and then walk through those gates and be able to catch sight of the temple through the next portico and to stand in Solomon's colonnade and see the temple that Herod had rebuilt and it took 40 years to rebuild, you would stand there and go, wow, what a great gate. Some of you are sitting there, a gate? Hello? Massive doors, several vestibules, Beautiful construction, gold glittering on some of the walls, beautiful tapestries hanging, and they would come in. If they'd never been to Jerusalem, everybody would say, your first time to Jerusalem, you've got to come in the beautiful gate. So who was sitting there? Every day he was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day, and notice these words, I've underlined them for you, to beg from those going into the temple courts. To beg. Everybody say beg. Isn't that kind of like the lowest form of request? And people get creative with it. How many of you have ever driven up to a freeway off-ramp and you stop at the light and there's somebody with a cardboard card and they have all kinds of different creative things that they need i'm not going to lie i'm actually going to blow my money on beer some of them say different things some of them insulting some of them crude whatever but some of them get downright creative and the most creative if nothing else people say now that's creative here here's a couple dollars i know that you're probably not going to do right with it but i'm going to reward your your creativity But at the same time, something inside of us goes, oh, Lord, I hope I'm never in a situation where I have to request of people just enough money to get some food and some water and some lodging. Wow. To be at the lowest rung, to be at the lowest point of existence, to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, if we're not careful, some of us think of prayer and we equate it with begging. I want you to think about that. We look at prayer as begging. Here's the next question I have for you. Is prayer about thanksgiving and transactions between friends or about begging from a stranger? Most people on this planet, when they contemplate the idea of prayer, think of standing with a cardboard sign behind the highway and doing the very last thing that they want to do in order to get the very thing that they need to survive. And I'm going to suggest that that's the utterly wrong way to approach prayer. We have to understand something. There is a God in heaven who loves humanity so much that he gave his only son. Who loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And the apostle Paul builds on that and says, look, if he's offered up his only son, how much more is he willing to give us all things through him? 
We have a heavenly father who wants to lavish us with goodness. He wants to lavish us with grace. He wants to lavish us with authority. He wants to lavish us with position. He wants to trust us in the luxurious provision of his amazing grace. And if we could sit in this room and allow a transformation and change to occur with us, if nothing else, but have this change this morning, that we will something will slip and change within us that says, I'm not going to look at God and heaven anymore the same way that I've always looked at him. I am not a beggar in his eyes, and I'm not going to come into his courts and times of prayer as a beggar. I'm going to come through the name of Jesus, and I'm going to come as a son and daughter of the king. I'm going to come and make my request known, because I know that he is leaning forward in my direction, and he wants to pour out of his great mercy and his loving kindness and his grace, and he wants to cleanse me. He wants to restore me. He wants to make me holy. He wants to justify me. He wants me to stand up upon my feet. And yes, he wants me to be the head and not the tail. Amen. Here is a man that is out on the fringes and can't even be in the middle of the intercessory prayer for healing. But how many of you know that Jesus sees the people on the fringe? That God, the Holy Spirit, knows of the people on the fringe. And here's what he's done. He's pulled people in close to him and empowered them with his authority and his grace so that they can go into the highways and byways and they can even go to the gate beautiful and intersect with somebody who has written the cardboard sign, I need help, please. And rather than having something, a paltry sum dumped into their lap and trying to subsist by the pennies and the nickels and the dimes, that he wants to actually transform their position and bring them into the courts of God and let them number themselves amongst those people who are praying and let them lift their voice and to pray along with them. Heal us, O God, and we shall be healed. Save us, O Lord, and we shall be saved. Give the Lord a hand clap this morning. Wow. Can you feel that? Can you feel that? When he saw Peter and John about to enter, what does he do? He asks them for money. Now, how many of you love it when people ask you for money? I want to help you with this. Let me tell you what my deeply felt desire is, and it's to look away. When Tasha and I are driving, come down, stop at an off-ramp, and we see somebody with a sign there, what do I do? I look at Tasha or look over there, and I become fascinated with the tumbleweed. I become fascinated with the trash clinging to the fence. I become fascinated suddenly with that traffic signal over there rather than the traffic signal over here. Why? Because I don't want to make eye contact. Because if I might... If I make eye contact, I might have to do something. Hello? <laughs> so let, let me help you with something that, and, and it's so impersonal out on the road. 
But how many of you ever had somebody come up to you at QT or some other gas station and say, man, I, I need to get over to Arlington for a doctor's appointment, and I just need $10 worth of gas. If you could put it in my car, I'm not going to spend it on booze or anything, sir, but I just need some help. And how many of us want to pretend we don't hear? It's kind of like what my method of dodging survey takers in the mall. How many remember those? Oh, when I saw a survey taker on the second floor in front of Macy's, I suddenly went the long way around. I was not even going to cross paths with that survey taker. Or I would simply look down and go, oh, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late for a very important date. No time to say hello, goodbye, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. (laughs) I knew I'd get you with Disney. It's uncomfortable when people look at you expecting something, needing something. Let me just challenge you to something real quick before we leave this point. The Lord gave me insight on how to handle that at QT. I'm still not good with how to handle it on the road, okay? Pray with me. Pray for Pastor Doug that the Lord would help him get some wisdom about how best to handle that in such a way that honors the Lord. But he showed me something one day at QT. And when somebody came and asked me for gas, he showed me how to just blow their mind and be good to them in his name. Because what I would want to do is just be good to them and leave it at that. But here's what he showed me to do. Because remember he said to offer a cup in his name. If you offer a cup of cold water in my name, you will have a prophet's reward. So here's what it requires now. Be ready. Are you ready? You're going to have to open your mouth and say something that's not mean or dismissive. And here, I just want to coach you and help you. I want to challenge you to this, however you do it, and it's this. You know what? I'm going to help you. And let me tell you why I'm going to help you. You want to know why? Yes. I mean, they would be a fool to say, no, idiot. I just want your money. They don't say that. They're over the barrel. They're down on their luck. It's difficult. Whether they're working a scam or whatever, life's hard. And I look them in the eye. I don't look away. I look them in the eye. The Lord taught, coached me how to do this. And, he, and I look at him and said, I'm going to do that. And do you know why? Now, I'm standing there in my golf shorts and shirt. They have no idea I'm a pastor. I don't walk around investments every day, folks. I don't have a backwards collar. I don't hand them my business card that says I'm a pastor. They don't know who I am. They don't know I'm a pastor. I'm just a guy at the gas pump. And I look at them and I say, you know what? I'm going to do that for you, and here's why. Because God loves you. Jesus died for you. He has a plan for your life. He knows your address. He knows your every difficulty that you're going through. And so I'm going to do this in Jesus' name. And how you respond is up to you. It's just the Lord gave that to me. They don't know I'm a preacher. And you know what? I end the conversation. They still don't know I'm a preacher. And then... I put the gas in their car, and I say, can I pray with you about that situation? Now, how many of you know if they're lying to you and you're praying for a situation, the Holy Ghost is going to get all over them? 
He's going to convict them from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. But if they're telling you the truth, they're going to find mercy and compassion in the time of their need. They will have fixed their eyes upon you, and rather than looking away, you have just come to them and said, I'm going to do this in the name of the Lord. Jesus loves you. He cares about you. He died for you. And so I've received from him, I want to do something for you. Let me do this for you. And then let me pray for you if I might. And when it's all said and done, their face lights up. They're burdened this kind of lists. And they get in their car and they drive off to their destination. If they've been fooling me, that's between them and God. But let me tell you what it does. It puts them in the crosshairs of the Holy Spirit. Here is a man sitting in the crosshairs of the Holy Spirit, and Peter looks straight at him, as did John. When somebody asks you for something, do you deflect or engage? And I'm going to challenge you this morning. We're going to begin to learn how to do this as a congregation. Don't deflect, but ask the Lord, Lord, how might I engage them? Because you have done something in my life that can change theirs. I have an answer that can change their destiny. And I have an opportunity to cross a bridge right now. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and take their positions because I'm going to finish this last point and we're going to move into a time of response to the Lord. Then Peter said, look at us. How many of you feel nervous saying that? Hey, look at me. Wow, I don't want anybody to see me. Peter said, look at us. Can you see the difference? Something's happened with Peter. Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. What does that mean? His heart is open. He thinks it's going to be a coin. How important is expectation in connecting to the answer? That's all we need is a little bit of expectation. Because expectation is the precursor to faith. And faith is the great connector to the amazing grace of God. Now we're going to leave you in a point of suspension Next week, we're going to be talking about freedom on July 4th. And then the next week, we're going to come back in and finish this. And it's going to be 3 o'clock one afternoon, part two. But I have a question for you right here and right now, so far. When and where is your 3 o'clock? What is the middle of the afternoon, dull, drab, routine thing that you can see that God would like to transform? into an amazing moment and the display of His amazing grace. Where is that persistent, continual point of contention at the beautiful gate? It's a beautiful gate, but there are bums sitting at the gate. It kind of ruins the effect. There's a place that's good except for if this could happen and God's grace could be revealed, then heaven would come down, something amazing would happen, and it would be transformed. And so here's the question. Where and when is your three o'clock? 
And what can God do in your three o'clock? Is it a dull, dead, dry, repetitive religious thing? Or is it a situation that can't be resolved by human ingenuity? And Lord, you have tried on your own. But it is a situation that can be transformed and changed by somebody, someone who will connect, be devoted to God, and expect some amazing things to happen, and then position themselves in that spot to see that beautiful gate really made beautiful. That blight upon that, that circumstance and situation that you say it's great except for that's your three o'clock. That's your place that needs that transformation of grace. And as the worship team leads us in a time of worship, maybe you'll want to find a place up around these altars. Maybe you want to find a place in your seat where you just bow your heart and close yourself in with the Holy Spirit. And you say, Holy Spirit, show me that three o'clock. I don't want to just go to the dull, drab, repetitive mouthing of prayers and religiosity any longer. I want to go with Peter and John to the temple. I want to go under the unction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I want to see that three o'clock changed. That that story will start one day at three o'clock. But when you go down a couple paragraphs, it will end with, and all of this happened to the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ as His amazing grace arrived on the scene and changed everybody forever. Believe the Lord can do that? Can we raise our expectation level? Can we raise our availability? Can we connect with devotion to Him as we come into this time of response and prayer and worship to the Lord as Tasha comes? And Father, we stand on Your promises. Father, as we leave this place, we can claim the promises that you have spoken over your children. We can claim the promises, Father, that's in your word. Though our eyes may not see, Father, we look with spiritual eyes. And we say, yes, Lord, let it be done. And we will praise your name, Father. We will shout glory to you. Let every breath, Father, that we praise, bless your name, Father. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And may the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you in abundance. And may you go forth from this place carrying his presence with you on the way to your three o'clock in the afternoon. And it's going to be a divine appointment. And the difference is it's not dull, dry, drab, and boring and religious mumbo-jumbo. But it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who makes all the difference. And may we encounter the amazing at the end of our devotion journey. And may we do that as a church together. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. The Lord bless you as you go. Have a great day.